Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you are in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Hey listeners, it's Will here. Our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. If you've ever listened to our show, then you know that the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. So if you suspect technology is your weak link, then book a call with us to see where we can help maximize your company's IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. Today's guest is Jorge Casada. Jorge is Granite Construction Vice President of People and Culture, as well as Chief Diversity Officer. In his role, he's responsible for inclusive diversity and workforce compliance, where he helps the company implement strategies that address Granite's guiding belief that diverse backgrounds, perspectives, cultures, and experiences enhance creativity and innovation. He brings an innovative approach to DEI, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion, and looks to make the lasting impact not only on Granite, but the construction industry as a whole. Jorge currently sits in the DEI Committee for the Associated General Contractors of America, as well as the Associated General Contractors of California. He also serves as the co-chair of the American Road and Transportation Builders Association's Workforce Development Committee. That is a big mouthful, Jorge. We're going to talk about that in a second. <laughs> Finally, in 2021, Jorge became a co-host of Construction DEI Talks, a podcast with tools for building diversity, equity, and inclusion in the construction industry. And for those listeners who don't know, which I, I, I'm assuming they all do, Granite is America's infrastructure company incorporated in 1922. Happy 100 plus years anniversary. Uh, Granite is one of the largest diversified construction and construction materials companies in the United States, as well as a full suite provider uh, in the transportation, water infrastructure, and mineral exploration markets serving North America and Guam. Granite's code of conduct and straw core values guide the company to uphold the highest ethical standards. Granite is an industry leader in safety and award-winning firm when it comes to quality and sustainability. With all that, big mouthful said, Jorge, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Justin. It's impressive. I mean, the, the script, I think you gotta, you got to get your SAG card once they get back from strike. Uh, that's, yeah, uh, that, that's that right. well I, done. I, I, I hope uh, that's what I can get to. Somebody told me I could go on IMDb. Maybe I need to put put ourselves on there. I think that's part of the, the strategy for us here at Building Scale. Nice. So I nice. said a lot of amazing things about you, or at least I think uh-huh. they're pretty amazing. You tell me, though. We want to hear the true background story of you, and then tell us about Granite. You know, so thank you for that. Will, thank you for inviting me to be part of your podcast. Um, you know, I think it's impressive anytime that you can get into a conversation where you could talk about people, process, and technology the way the two of you do and the way that you help the industry get better. About myself, I I would tell you that married 30 years, two kids, and and I I lead with that because I think sometimes when people read bios, those are the last things that people talk about, right? They talk about accomplishments, but that's been one of the biggest things. I think I just, uh, knowing that I have a life partner, 
with me in this journey has been amazing. I've been in this work of um, diversity, equity, and inclusion close to uh, 20 plus years. But originally, just to share a little bit, originally from San Salvador, El Salvador, um, came here to the United States. And you did a great job with my name, man. I tell you, Jorge Quesada, you threw that one out there. It was nice. Um, but it, it's amazing, right? So when I came to the United States the first time in 1969, there weren't a lot of Jorges in New Orleans. That was my port of entry. So right away, people started calling me George. And I stayed George until, shoot, I want to say 1988 when I joined the sales department at Allstate. And Jack Cloud, who's a Texan, said, you know, George, we got to call you by Jorge. And, and he was the first man, literally, that acknowledged the fact that my name was Jorge. My mom, when she, still, when, when she calls in the office, she still calls me George because she realized that at that time how difficult it was for me to navigate with the name Jorge and being called George. So you fast forward, here I am in diversity, equity, and inclusion after spending 25 years at Allstate four years at Kraft Foods as a chief diversity officer. Then I moved over to Northwestern Mutual, similar work. And then um, I got a call that Granite Construction was trying to prop up or you know stand up a diversity, equity, and inclusion practice. And the opportunity, the challenge to not only as the bio, as you read, not only make an impact that granted, but to have a conversation, a broader conversation in the industry um, was too much to pass up. I, you know, it, it, it's been amazing. And in the last four years, um, through the various organizations that I'm able to participate with, it's been fascinating, this work and how it's taken hold in the industry. And um, so that's a little bit about myself. No, that's beautiful story of going uh you know from port of entry from george to jorge which i actually yeah. i have the in it obviously you're just listening can't see but i have a, yeah. a whiteboard behind me that says identity yeah. crisis and we actually had a guest on that uh talked about mm. how can you help somebody uh become something they're not and and he gave this example that he he essentially mm. changed somebody's name he, he started calling him by a nickname so my first thought question here is mm. what was that the was that the moment in time that the identity shifted and you you uh, became somebody new? Uh, I guess the easiest way to, to put that. Yeah, no. So so, you know, it's an interesting way you phrase the question, because I will tell you there's two moments, um, whether you want to call them a moment or whether I had this epiphany, I, I could tell you I could tell you it was in in 1969, my athletic ability spoke louder than my name. So um, being picked to be part of a team when no one could communicate with me, I realized that it's in the doing. You know, so, someone said, and, and I don't know who it is, and someone said, no, Jorge, you got to take credit for it, that there are some people who need to have in order to do while others do in order to have. And, and I'll tell you that my actions allowed me to have access to participate in things that before I didn't have access to because of the language barrier. So I knew that it was in my actions that really generated some um, level of participation. 
And then the second thing was that I realized, and this has just been recent. So part of my story is this. My mother's side of the family is Mayan Indian, right? And so indigenous to Central America. My dad's side of the family is light skin, grandfather, German descent, blonde hair, blue eyes. My grandmother is Afro-Caribbean. So one could say she's black, okay? And so the other epiphany was it's really learning about myself that even my wife told me, she goes, so where's this Latino thing? And, and it was one of those moments <laughs> that I almost felt like I had to give my Latino card back, right? Because she's saying, you're part of indigenous community. You have this multicultural aspect to you. She goes, you're not, I, you're, where's the Latino come from? And that's the other thing, right? That Latino comes from the fact that I was born in Central America. Um, so you got that. You come to the United States where growing up in Central America, you use the term Latino because that's in Spanish, right? That signifies the people. But I didn't know I was Hispanic. I didn't know all these other things. I didn't know all these other labels that existed. And and I share that with you because when you ask that question, the, the complexity of your question really let, lets you understand that there's more to people than what we see. Mm-hmm. The, and, and, and I think sometimes we label people by what we see, and yet we don't come to them and find out who they are. And I, and I think that that is really the spirit of the work that I do, is trying to unleash the individuality in people and trying to have them share about themselves so that by you sharing with me, me sharing with you, me sharing with Will, we get to know each other and then we get to work better. We get to create an inclusive environment. So I, I really love that question because it, it gives you more insight into who I am and, and actually those moments, right? No, totally. That In our first time that me and you just spoke, uh, one of the stories I shared with you is like, I was raised by my grandmother. Like this is a very different uh, thing that, you know, just looking at me, you have no idea that that's the case. Um, no idea. But, but like that is m- part of my story in regards to like, how am I different? Like what's unique to me? What are those things? which uh, I love just that conversation that we had back and forth uh, about that. So uh, inclusion comes in lots of different ways, which takes me to, uh, I guess, the next the next question there, which is sure. when we think of inclusion, we think of DEI, we think of, so uh, you know, some people say wokeness, uh, you know, uh, this is a mm, term that's okay. going around. Um, yeah. That tends to get people a little riled up. Little people, uh, there's a little bit of backlash, kind of when we think about this. Um, yeah. What? Why do you? Why do you think that that's the case? Because effectively, you knowing about me more, right? Like in this mm-hmm. grandmother, you know, story situation, seems yeah. like a good idea. But like, there's a lot of backlash to that. So what? What? What are your thoughts on that? You know, um, so there's a couple things, right? They're like that. That's such a deep question in the sense that what appears to be resistance is sometimes lack of clarity. And I think, you know, the neuroscience teaches us that our brains require certainty. Like we need things either to be one way or the other, and there's no gray in the middle. When you get into the gray, it really challenges people to really get out of whatever comfort zone that gets created in whatever um, point of view that they have of something. So just to give you a kind of like a technical thing when it comes to DEI, 
there's a model that talks about reactions to difference. And our brains are designed to prevent us from going to difference. Our brains like tell us, don't do it, Justin. Don't do it, Will. There's no need for you to go to the gym, right? It, your brains like tell you this. And, and, and they do it, the brain does it by preventing you or creating excuses in your head on why you shouldn't go. It'll, it'll remind you that you're going to hurt day two. You're going to hurt day three, and then you're going to stop the gym, right? Well, the same thing happens when we get into this conversation. And I, and, and I appreciate you opening up with the term woke, right? Because I, I, I tell you that even in that term, depending on how you use it, how you define it, and how you receive it dictates how you're going to feel. So if, you know, on one side of things, you have how your values, your norms, what you feel create emotion. And from that emotion, you tap, you step into the, the actions that you take, exemplify your behavior. If you think about it, so someone says the word woke. In certain communities, the word woke means that you're awake that you're aware of your surroundings, that you're aware of what's happening. But there's also a side currently where that word is being used to describe actions, people who have an awareness of, of DEI, of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you can even throw ESG in there, right? Yeah. And, and, and so I share that with you because the way I have, I'd love to have this conversation is, is this way. I remind myself when I like, first of all, my daughter, who's now 23, but when she was 19, this was four years ago, she said, Dad, can I ask you a big favor? Can you start stop using certain words that we as teenagers use? You're too old to be using some of these words. Right. And, and I said, <laughs> like, give me an, give me an example. And she goes, you know what? When you say things like, hey, what's girlfriend's name? She goes, that, that's my language, Dad. That's not your language. You should hear yourself say this. She goes. Cancel. You use it like, oh, my God, he's getting canceled. Stop that, Dad. We stopped using that two years ago. And that was 2019. Mm. And now you hear things like cancel culture, right? You hear people oh, yeah. using this language in 2023. And then she said, and then the final word, Dad, because I know you don't use it a lot, but if I ever hear you, like, I I'm just not going to walk near you. And I said, what is it? Woke. I said, and then she said, she, she gave me a gift by telling me that because she realized I didn't say it. And there's a reason why I didn't say it. I just didn't feel like that was part of my language that I would use, right? I, I always saw that in things that I read about uh, in the 60s. Like that was a term that musicians were using, right? About the civil rights, be woke, be aware that not everything appears to be what it is. That, you know, and, 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 and it came from that type of spirit. There's music, there's songs that were written back in the day kind of thing. So we fast forward now Every Sunday, I go to church, right? And when the priest breaks into the homily and breaks down the gospel to me, I get woke. Like every Sunday that happens, right? Or when I go, or when I go to church. Let me just throw it out that way, right? Easter and Christmas for sure. It's, and there's it, some yeah, other yeah, ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. There's some high holy days, right? But, but I'll also tell you that every Christmas, I'm reminded by the story of Scrooge, right? And every time Scrooge sees one of these ghosts, guess what Scrooge happens to Scrooge? He he's gets getting woke. woke. He's, he's getting, getting woke. woke. <laughs> yeah, he's getting woke, right? Ralphie, 
right? Christmas story. Ralphie, two moments of wokeness, right? Ralphie uh, is told, if you shoot that thing, you're going to shoot your eye out. What has happened to Ralphie, right? My man gets, he shoots himself, does, but it hits his glasses. The other moment is when he gets into that fight. And it's that moment in that movie where the mom comes and like comes and grabs and pulls him away. And it's that moment where they're having dinner and the dad comes in and he thinks I, it's done. I like, I'm done. My dad's going to go nuts on me. He realizes how cool his mom is. That is a moment of awareness that says, man, this woman loves me. That is also a moment of wokeness, right? But when I use this term now, even the way it's used today, I got to believe that there's people listening or there's people that if they hear me tell that story, they're like, you don't get it. This is what this word means. No, no. I, understand, I respect the fact that you have a definition and how you're using it. I'm just telling you my point of view on how I see the word. And so when you ask me that question, that's what comes to mind for me, because I think we have to be aware that your point of view and my point of view doesn't, your point of view is not truth and neither is my point of view. It's when you and I come together with your point of view, my point of view, we talk about it like we're doing right now and we create our own truth. And so I think in this discussion, diversity is broader than gender ethnicity. Inclusion is making sure that we include everyone. And that's why I granted we practice inclusive diversity, right? We talk about inclusive diversity because we're inclusive of all the diversity that we have and celebrate today, tomorrow, and into the future. So what that means is, is that it's we just not only talk about race and gender, but we talk about like you and Will. Like if you were at our company, we would tell you that both of you are diverse. Just like you shared your story about being raised by your grandmother. That's a diversity dimension that we don't think about it that way if we only see the surface level definitions of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But our job is to go deeper. So, you know, I know I know I just got on a rant a little bit here, but I, I hope I can, can, you know, get your audience to say, yes, be mindful of how you use the terminology and what power are you putting behind it. If you're using it to describe someone, now you just labeled someone as opposed to what is the definition of woke that the other person is interpreting and listening to and how am I using it? And are we connecting together? Because then that's where you get the polarization. So I hope that makes sense. Well, I think that there's uh, a term from a while back ago, uh, mm -hmm. something that was definitely taught to me, which is walk a mile in another man's shoes. Mm, yes. All right. Uh, and I think that's kind of what you're describing. I haven't heard that phrase for a while, but mm -hmm. it is a phrase that kind of describes exactly what you're talking about, which is the context in you know, what someone else is doing or how, how they arrived at that answer or how they, how they talk or their experiences, right. Is the, is the culmination of where they're at today. Right. And you're, yes, no two people's experiences that are exactly the same. They're not right. Um, I think, I think it was Epictetus may have said that you can't cross the same river in the same place. Right. Um, and, and, and I'll tell you, I appreciate that perspective will, because, um, you also have to be mindful that for someone to scream and call someone being woke, it means they're reacting 
to something that they're receiving from the other side as well. So the other people have to be able to understand what their actions are doing to someone else in order for them to be called this term, especially when it's a word that has one definition and then all of a sudden it's getting used to represent something else. You know, I just recently, I just saw something that said, you know, we want people to be awake. Someone said this, we want people to be awake. We just don't want them to be woke. And, and, and on the surface, you realize, wow, like English is a second language to me, right? <laughs> awake and being woke, it's like in the same, the same, you know, orbit, right? It has the same definition. It's just like a different phraseology. But if you go deeper, if you go click down and you get to know the other person and what where they're coming from with it, you're realizing that they're going back to the fact that it's like we want you to be aware. We just don't want you to act this way that signifies woke to me. And and that's why I think we, we the terminology is so important and the impact that you're making, because you may have good intent. Right. Think about this. Intent is very passive. Intent lies in your heart and in your mind. You may have good intent, but as we're quoting things, right? It, there's someone else that said that the road to hell is paved with good intention. You may have good intent <laughs> of using this word. You have to be mindful of the impact that it's making. And currently right now, the impact that that phraseology or the term that's making, it's a slur, it's derogatory. You're signaling that you don't like something that someone is doing. And that's, and, and even, you know, I can go deeper into it, but I, I think I personally don't use the word because I don't know how to use it. Like, I, I don't know calling someone woke. What does it really mean other than being aware? And just like I said, right, Sundays to me, I get woke, but that's what it means to me. That's a great perspective. And I, I totally uh I've got a business crush on you, Jorge. I don't know how else to phrase it. It's, uh, it's um, you you articulate that concept uh, very simply and well. And and speaking of quotes, Albert Einstein, you don't really know something until you can explain it simply. So mm -hmm. look at uh, that. That is it. That, that's awesome. I I want to go into the brass tacks uh, because I know mm -hmm. that we've been asked this, and let's be honest, the mm -hmm. the industry has is right now, very much boomer dominated white male, right? Especially for the ownership principles, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It is very much dominated. And the question that gets asked and almost exactly in this way is what's the business case for DEI? Can you explain that and do it in a way that they can understand? Yeah. So you know, I, I love I love the fact that you 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 just like compartmentalize the industry in that way, right? Knowing that I come at you with this inclusive diversity term, right? And I would tell you that, yeah, no, no, and, and I, I love I love the phraseology in it because I will tell you that. Let me give you an, a, a, something to think about. If you have a glass of milk and you pour chocolate syrup in it, where does the chocolate syrup go? To the bottom. Right? And in our industry, yes, it's maybe could be dominated by the segment white males, right? But there are a large population of people of color, right? 
um, in, you know, in our industry and they're not at the levels of leadership. Okay. The only way to, to talk about this work and to continue with this milk and chocolate syrup, you can almost pour that syrup. And if you wait long enough, if you drink the milk, you can't even taste the chocolate because the syrup goes all to the bottom, right? You literally, I'll use the word agitate. You have to stir it in order to get the chocolate taste out of it. Okay. Now there's some people probably listening that are Nestle quick fans and <laughs> the chocolate stays at the top. I, I, I understand, but just go with me. Right. Well, I'll tell you that in our industry, if you drink the milk, we have less and less people coming into the industry, less and less white males coming into the industry than they did in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Okay. And so now we're faced with this workforce development issue where we're going to have to look at other talent pools that we didn't have to have to worry about in the past. So you mentioned that Granite started in 1922, 100 years. And I got to tell you that I don't know. This is just Jorge Casada, right? I don't know if there was a lot of women in 1922 saying, hey, we want to go crush some rock and we want to go build Highway 1 in California. I just don't know if there was a lot of women wanting to do that, right? And I think that over the years, we, some of these men, right? And they didn't do it because they wanted to exclude women. They just It just happened. We're going to start a company, like the three of us. Let's go do it together, right? Over time, they probably said, hey, Will, did you pay the bill? No, Justin was supposed to do that. Justin, you, And we realized, wait a minute, we're not good at this. And someone said, hey, you know what? I have a sister that can probably help us out with this. And there she came. She came. She's part of our company now. She's part of the company. And all of a sudden now we had office help. And women in our industry played that role for a bit. Well, we've evolved, right? Society has evolved. The industry has evolved. We have more women coming into the industry. So the business case goes like this. We need a way to be able to keep the people that we recruit. Because we're also an industry that has a lot of churn. So it's almost like a leaky bucket, right? And it's, sometimes it's by design. Some I've realized that some companies hire people, work on a job, and then let them go until they get another job and they bring them back in. Well, all that talent acquisition stuff comes with the cost. This is about retaining talent, developing the right inclusive environment so you can keep them. This is about creating environments where other other talent pools can say, hey, I can work at that company, right? And then as companies mature and as industries mature, like we've seen in financial services or consumer packaged goods, it becomes a competitive advantage. We, we sometimes, if it feels like the construction industry is pretty transient, so you have people moving from company to company, what if you can keep them? and save costs and acquisition. What if you can keep them? Go ahead. Can, can, can you actually give some hard dollars or some hard figures? You've been Shh. doing this for a while. And, and obviously, yeah. I think numbers help speak to uh, and kind of speak volumes behind what you're saying, right? It, it seems like fluff. And, 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 mm -hmm. and I think I've I actually heard those exact words is that it seems like fluff, right? Yeah. In what you're talking so, about. Because what you're talking about is nowhere on the PNL, nowhere directly on the PNL, right? And that's what they're Correct. looking for. 
So yeah. why don't you talk about so, it in brass tech num- and actual numbers? Yeah. So it's funny you say it's in, it's not in the PL, right? Because I would tell you that people are an expense. So it is in the PL, right? And 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 I think if 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 you look at a PL, if you look at people as an expense, then it's very easy to know liabilities and assets and know what you want, like how to manage, how to improve your margins, right? You you reduce your expenses. Well, in the PL, it also pops up is all you want to do is be able to get your talent acquisition cost, right? And divide it by the number of people that you have. And, and you know, there's some average numbers. It could range anywhere between anywhere between $35,000 to $75,000 per person. So every time you go hire someone new or recruit someone new, that's how much it would cost you. Right. And that in, that can include also all the benefits that you give on the front end, all the bonuses that you can put out there to try to bring people in. Right. And then once they're in the door, now you have all the training costs that you you're you're responsible for and you pay. So when you bring someone, you're paying out. When you invest in them to train them, you pay something else. And then when they leave. All you have to do is find out how much you invested in them and you'll find out you add the number of acquisition dollars of acquisition plus the numbers invested in training. And as that person leaves, that's how much money you spent and that you took off your bottom line. So that is one. It sounds so simple, but it's truly that. Right. Then you get into another aspect of it. There's some with with, with, with the, um, the art and the science of this work. We're realizing that. An improved and inclusive environment creates happier employees and happier employees are more engaged. They participate in things. So if you have initiatives having to do with health, like Vitality is a big app that gets utilized a lot. If you get more people participating in that, they become healthier. They're more productive. Your safety numbers better because we have less incidents and and you may be paying less for your costs for benefits. So there are some tangible things, right? Yes, I get that it's fluff because what people see, it's like the tip of the iceberg, right? We see the Cinco de Mayo celebration. We see the Black History Months. We see Women in Construction Month. We see all that stuff. But what we don't pay attention to sometimes is the actual cost that it takes to recruit, to retain, to develop, and the dollars that it costs for us to take talent from other companies. Does that help? That helps a lot that there's, there's some brass tacks and then looking at your churn rate, right. Uh, add mm-hmm. on top of it, multiply that out by really that 35 to 75 K plus the 52, $100,000 in training yep. per person that you're churning, you know, especially if it's like one to two years, three years, all of a sudden that all of that's going out the door. Cause you're going to have to respend it in someone new. Right. So yes. And this is and that's, where... I'm not even including, sorry, Will, I'm sorry for the interruption. Coming into the industry, I didn't know like the impact. And then this is by project by project, the impact that it makes on a project level, how long that it would take to complete a project, how long, you know, what mistakes could be made in a project that all of a sudden those costs, we don't talk about, we don't think about. And so that's the other side of it. So sorry for the interruption here. No, that's uh, a, a that's a great uh, thing that I didn't I had no thought about like re, any rework that's done because communication breakdown because you're churning somebody like that is going to happen like that's inherently going to happen so like anytime you churn like you have this 
your your risk of having to rework a project, which means all that, you know, the small margins of profitability that a lot of these companies are working with just goes mm-hmm. completely out the window because you're redoing work that you already uh, did or, or had to do, but you just did it wrong. Correct. Wow. Yeah. Didn't even, didn't even bring that one around. <laughs> so one other thing to, uh, and we talked a little bit about this around decision-making and you mentioned Simon Sinek, which is a huge role model of mine. Right. Mm, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think I think one of the things that, you know, how, how we engaged and how we started talking about the potential of coming on the podcast <laughs> was this thing of and this leads into the way Justin opened up the conversation about the EI and, and what people think. So this polarity or, the you know, that exists has on one ear telling me to go fast on this work. And another side of it challenges you to go slow, slow down. This is crazy. Like, this is too much change all at once. And what I tell people on both sides is like, because I think the solution is always in the middle, by the way. Not the truth is in the middle, because that has a whole different connotation. But the the, the, the solution and the thing is like the third option. But I think what you were, what you were talking about was this notion I tell people, this is not about how fast and how slow we go. This is how far we go. Right. This is about thinking of this work of creating an environment where five years from now, 10 years from now, people want to come and work at Granite. And I'll use our company as an example, because we have the right environment. You know, Justin mentioned that we have our core values and one of our core values is inclusion. Right. So we challenge our employees to be inclusive. We want them to know that diversity is the mix and inclusion is making that mix work. And by the way, Andres Tapia said that from Corn Ferry. And there's a kind of like a pun intended, right, from a mix from asphalt and, you know, and all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah. But um, but 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 we believe in diversity, equity and inclusion. But in the word us is in the middle of the word inclusion. If you look at the word inclusion, you can't spell inclusion without the word us. And that's why we practice inclusive diversity. So this is about how far we can take this. And, you know, Simon Sinek. Uh, wrote the book called The Infinite Game. And what he was doing is there was a a person who wrote the book about gaming and stuff like that. And that gaming is about the infinite game. And so he just took that theory and just expanded on it and just started challenging people to think about. It's not about the numbers per se, because that is very episodic. That is very um, uh, finite thinking. When you get into infinite thinking, you think about the possibilities. So who knew that 20 years ago, our country was going to go into this thing, go get a degree, get a degree, get a degree, get a degree, right? And there's a lot of people that went and tried to get a degree that maybe were better with better with their hands that we are, don't have in our industry anymore. And so from a workforce development perspective, we have to brag about the great work that we have. You know, we, if we talk about the deterioration of the middle class, guess what industry can build it back up again, because, right, pun intended, we have enough work in our industry to really, like, make careers for the next, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, if, if, if we get people to come into our industry. So we got to think long term, we got to think about what kind of environments do we create that are welcoming of people that may not have thought about coming into the industry. Today, I think we struggle with that. Today, we let external forces tell 
the construction industry story. So this is why a podcast like yours is so important, because what you do is you amplify the goodness of the work that exists and why other people should think about coming into the industry. The problem sometimes is, is that only people from the industry listen to your good work, right? We got to get other people outside of the industry to think about, you know, people, process, and technology. And that, that that's, I think, the Simon Sinek piece and how that ties in. You mentioned uh, different generations. And um, mm. 20 years ago, go to college, go to college, go to college. That's really the only option. Don't do anything else. Don't do anything else that was kind of fed in. But now, you know, some some of those people have said that was maybe not the best option for me. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Um, but mm-hmm. you have generational differences of like they learned a thing and they were taught this yeah. and this went on. You, you Again, you've got these boomers or Gen Xers that are generally leadership or at the top of these companies, but they're dealing with other generations, like very different from them. Uh, yeah. how, how does that blend? You know, we talk about stirring it up, you know, getting a little agitation to, to the yep. chocolate milk uh, concoction. How, how that, that has to be a piece of this. How does that look? What does that look like? And how, you know, how, how's Granite looking at this? How yeah. should other companies maybe be looking at this? So no, now, now you're going to get me back to my daughter again, right? So my daughter saw me doing this chocolate thing because I was prepping for a presentation and I wanted to use this, this example. And she's like, what are you yep. doing, dad? Right. And, and, <laughs> You should have um, told her, I'm it, just being woke. Leave me alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> she, no, she would have she said, dad, I'm done with you, dad. Don't use that word. Um, no. So what she said was, she goes, dad, why are you waiting for the chocolate milk to go down to the bottom? This is what I do. And so she started stirring the milk first and then pour the syrup. And all of a sudden, you got the chocolate already. And she drank my milk, right? But what she taught me was, she taught me was, by your question on generations is critical is, is that I think, well, no, let me, that's not, I think I know we have people who, if they only look at DEI from a gender and ethnicity perspective, they're going to miss what's happening with the generations, right? So now we have generations, it's specifically Gen Z and probably generation alpha that are going to come at this totally different than millennials just that cohort. And let me just, cause I feel uncomfortable like call, labeling the generations. Cause I have a problem with labeling people by race. That's a whole, that's another podcast I think we can have right on the construct <laughs> of race. But, but I, I think when you start saying the millennials will act this way because they're millennials, you know, that kind of stuff or behavioral from a marketing perspective. But and when it comes to construction, we have this, we have this generation that, is in the middle of a command and control type of approach that maybe boomers and extras utilize to lead to a more collaborative change uh, evolve evolving in leadership to now there's not hope but there's an expectation from some millennials the latter part to the to the generation z they're thinking i'm not going to work for a company that doesn't have a dei practice why because it's important to me. It's important to me that they think about sustainability. It's important they think about, so all of a sudden you have, like, it's important to know that there are different, the generations that are coming in are not the same generation that we had in the past. I mean, just think about the work from home piece that has hit everyone. I'm defined by having an office, right? Like I can tell you as a boomer on the cusp of, of extra boomer kind of thing, 
everything about was your self-actualization, if we're going to think about Maslow now, right, is literally I wanted an office. I wanted to put my certificates on the wall. I wanted to put pictures. I wanted to have all of a sudden you're working from home and that's a whole different thing, right? But there are people who that's all they know is working from home. And there's an expectation that's all I'm going to do is work from home. So we have to understand that as society changes, we also, as an industry, also have to evolve also. Um, I don't know how fast, I don't know how slow, but we have to think of the long game, right? We have to think of the infinite game of what this thing is going to look like. That actually brings up a, a good point. I think that, I think a lot of people will think of inclusion, DEI, but you know, when we, we think of being inclusive, right? There, where Where is effectively the line in the sand of like, hey, our business operates this way. Like this is what we uh, think is right, like for our business. Like we're, we're, we're trying to build this thing to grow and scale. And we think this is the best way to do that. Um, mm -hmm. I still want to be inclusive, but like, hey, I think being in the office is better. Like I, like I, I feel that there's more synergy. There's more, uh, you know, osmosis and all, all of these things that, you know, now are coming out. Where is the line of saying like, you're, you think differently and I want to be accepting of that, but I also want to run my business the way I want to run it or the leadership team wants to run the business the way they want to run it. So on, on one level, I would say you answered your own question, right? That this is my line. I think you can act, anyone can actually say that this is my line. And then you have to live with what happens next, right? If you lay down that line and people start leaving, then that should send you a message that your line was too close to who you are, not necessarily on who they are and how they want to work. I think the example that I, that I like to give people when I'm asked that question is just remember, um, like, June, July of 2020. And a lot of companies said, we're working from home forever. And now a bunch of these companies in 2023 are saying, uh, forever ends in 2023. And we need <laughs> you to work two to three days. We want you to come back into the office. And they're walking it back, right? And, and I think it comes from a place of, wait a minute, they're understanding that in order for them to work as the company that they want to be, there's a couple of things at play. There's their own individual culture that they want to create. They want, they believe that the innovation happens in person, that um, the employee engagement happens when they're together. And, and that's what I mean. It's like, you answered your own, like, that's our line, right? There's other companies that have been working from home for a while, for a while, right? I, I could be as silly as saying there are some companies that their customer service reps are actually in institutions, right? Like, like there's some companies that have their uh, customer service reps are actually people that are employed by the Department of Corrections in, in one state or another. Like they have always, so to think that they're going to work from home, not, not going to happen, right? And so we got to remember that there was people before the pandemic that were leading teams that were in India, that were in Europe, right? That working from home, there were sales reps that were working from home. There was project managers that maybe visited a construction company office maybe two times a week for an hour or two. Then they went back on the job site. So they were always on the road. So I think 
it, it, it really depends on, on your own company. It really depends on the principles that you have and you want to establish. Because I think where we get into the trick bag, if I can use that term, is this. Is I think we hear best practices and we think that we they're, they're easy to plug and play, right? And what we're realizing is, is that taking someone else's best practice and implementing it doesn't work very well. Just like someone's hygiene program, right, at home in one household may not be the same for you, right? That's the kind of way I would describe it, that you, you have to take a look at what principles that you live by and where you want to put that line. You mean my box of chocolates, chocolates is different from your box of chocolates? No way. <laughs> you it never is. know what you're gonna get. Get yes, <laughs> it is. I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that, Will. I'm gonna steal that book. <laughs> yes, it is. Hey everybody, Justin here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As you know, Will and I are business nerds and love talking to leaders who've scaled their businesses using people, process, and technology. If that's something to get you all jazzed up too, then do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to hit the little bell so you get notified every time we drop a sweet new episode. And if you know somebody who'd be an awesome guest on the show, send them our way. Just go to buildandscale.net slash guest. Now, back to the episode. So, okay. Granite, very, very large company you know, in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of things. A lot of trades, trade partners, subs, even smaller GCs, right? Um, you talked about how far, it's not about how fast or how slow. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, but the issue here is there's a cost, there's sort of an upfront cost to DEI before you can get to sort of zero or get positive effect, right, in the near term. And so can you talk a little bit about, you know, what can they do sooner? How can smaller companies, GCs, sort of apply the concept sooner or apply something sooner in order to gain some benefit so that they can kind of continue on their DEI programs? Hmm. You know, um, the way you pose that question um, is challenging in a way because there's things that I have to assume, right? Um, the first thing that I have to assume is that there are companies that are not doing anything that comes close to what DEI, like by definition, right, or has it, right? The other assumption I have to make is that there's some companies that are that have started and maybe stalled or don't want to implement some of the stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the final thing is is that. There are some companies that have introduced it and there's so much pushback that they can't move forward with it. Like they're, they're just having issues moving the needle, moving the needle. Yep. And I will. T- and so 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 that's why there's a complexity. So if, if you just give me some room here, let, let me just share with you this. The floor is yours. It's, I think it's, it's, I think I think the way I can describe this to you is there are certain clients, right, public and private that are at a place where they're asking questions about percentages of people involved at a job site. They're asking the utilization of, of subs 
at a, at a certain level, meaning DBEs, WBEs, and so forth, right, from a supplier diversity perspective. There are companies that are saying, there are private clients that are clients in general are saying, look it, in order to work with us, we want you to make sure that you can li live in our ethos or in our ecosystem of inclusion. So let's use someone like uh, Google, right? And you know, one of the questions that they ask is, how googly are you, right? And they want to find out, like, how do you line up to their values and stuff like that? Well, when, when a company like Google asks that down the ecosystem, then when we partner with them, they want to see, do we have a DEI practice? The answer is yes. How do we partner? How many, what percentage, blah, blah, blah. Then our subs down the line, we want to work with people that can continue the inclusive environment, right? And AGC, the National AGC, and you mentioned, um, Justin, that I sit on the DNI Council, there's uh, a pledge, right, the culture of care, that if you're a company that doesn't have any of this practice, you can go to the AGC site now and go to culture of care, and you could have a robust platform on how to implement DEI in your company, whether you're a two-person company, 10-person company, or you know, 10,000-plus company, right, employee company. Uh, you know, I'm trying to get to your answer because I think, first of all, is what's the first step, right? And the first step happens when, like, even before the call, right? Like, you ask me, do you go by George, you go by Jorge, or I give you my name. There are some people in our companies that don't really know how to, like, whether you're William or Will. They just, they just make that assumption, right? They don't know, Justin, that your grandmother raised you, right? They, they just make the assumption because you're a great guy that you must have great parents. And until you tell them the story, they're, they're, they're left dumbfounded like, oh man, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know or this, this, this kind of thing, right? But that's what happens, Will. Like, I, I think the first step is like, are you willing to get to know the person next to you better than you did? the day before. And I'll tell you, you, you just posed a, a really interesting question because I was on, a, um, I was prepping for our community call and on a quarterly basis, we have, uh, we meet, we open the floor up for the entire company to call in. So we've been doing this since early 2019 as a way of touching bases with our employees. And I was trying to, I was, someone asked a similar question about what do, what can I do to, to be better at this work. And one of the things that came up in that conversation, and um, I'm glad that we're not doing video because you would see me like um, scrolling here, trying to find these questions. But um, I would tell you that, let me, let me find it for you. These questions really had to do with, what do I need to do? What do I need to stop doing for you today that I do every day? Right. What are the things that you want me to do that I haven't done for you? And then what are the things that you wish I could think about doing in those three questions? If I was to ask one of you that and sit down with you in a friendship perspective, you would find out what I do that just irritates you. You would find out what are the things that I should continue doing. And then you would also learn about what you need from me 
And I think sometimes we get so caught up with trying to create more complexity on something that already is complicated in our brains, that it could be that simple. And, and I'll close with this and, and, and your question. We talk about in our podcast and construction DEI talks, we talk about before we sign off, we say, hey, listen, just be mindful of one thing. Be kind, be good, be better, and be inclusive. Just think about that. Where we could start is just being mindful of being kind, being mindful of being good, being better, and inclusion happens from that. So I hope that gets to your question, but but I but I think it's it's layered, right? So I think, and I, I definitely appreciate the response. Definitely thoughtful. I think the way that uh, this can also be looked at is. Mm -hmm the difference between reacting and responding mm. right and, and an awareness uh, and essentially having the awareness to be able to respond rather than to react yeah and, and you know so I'm, I'm, I'm wow i appreciate the perspective right because now you're making me think about what do we teach at granite you know, in, in, in its simplest form, and you probably figured out that I like to talk in threes. Maybe it's my time hanging out with McKenzie people, but I, I just do. Um, <laughs> we we challenge people in our in our training to notice, to understand, and to act. We want them to notice the sameness and difference that is around them. We want them to go deep and understand why there's the similarity and the difference. And then we want them to act. And I'll tell you why that's so important. The three, the two of the three of us got into a conversation and we realized that one of the things that we had in common was just the Chicagoland area. And if you leave us alone, like we could probably go to Mothers, so we could probably go to Uno or we could go to Manatis, you know, we can do all kinds of things, right? But at the end of the day, we can get there and we can talk about all things Chicagoland. The fun, the snow, we could we can geek out. And, and someone would say, from a paradox perspective, oh, those are just three guys being guys, right? The paradox is we're all part of a group. All of us are, but we're all individuals. And I think that it's in the individuality that sometimes we lose the nuance on why DEI is so important. That I think um, someone said this. They said um, that, and maybe this is my experience coming to the United States, right? that we're a, we're a melting pot. Well, if you think of the melting pot from an alchemist perspective, it's like you're taking all these things and you're, in, and you're boiling it or you're, you're heating it up and it becomes, you can't even tell them apart. But in actuality, what we are with the potluck, right? If all of us brought the same dish to the potluck, people will talk about it, right? But we all bring different things. And if we can think about that, kind of like a salad too, right? that we could taste the tomato different from the onion, different from the lettuce, romaine, you know, there's a lot of things, nuance that you could taste different. If we can focus on that, if we can notice, understand and act on those differences and similarities, man, we could have a better place, uh, better workforce and create better environments. Thank you for the, definitely for the very wide and in-depth perspective into such simple comments. So thank you for that. 
Um, yeah, no, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy because I think, like I, like I said, it's already, it's a complicated thing, or maybe it's complex, right? I, and we make it complicated, but we just try to, because we try to individualize the definition of things and we don't sit down and have this type of conversation, we don't get the commonality that we like our brain craves. It thirsts for it. It, 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 it calls for us to come together. I couldn't agree more. I, I actually, when we first spoke, I was so mm-hmm. excited just to have this uh, conversation, just in general, podcast or not. I was just really <laughs> excited about having the conversation, which is maybe perhaps a little selfish, but that's that's quite okay. Um, I think that these are the things that we need to actually talk about, right? Like this is, this is the stuff, right? Like let's talk about things that we don't understand all all the time or don't have as much depth of knowledge, but like, that's the only way it's your point, right? Like notice, understand and act. Is that where those are three? Yes. Look at me. I was paying attention. I was listening. Yeah, it is. There it is. That's why we do it in threes, right? (laughs) I I, I also am a threes person. So I, I I can appreciate the the structuring of it because it does make it easier for sure. So uh, one of the uh, one of the things that I love to ask, uh, which we ask mm-hmm. every guest, and I, I'm we you don't know this, or maybe you do because maybe you've listened to the podcast, but you don't know this, so it's going to be a question that'll be completely off the cuff, and that is effectively, uh, if you could go back twenty years, what would you tell yourself? So this would be two thousand three. Yeah, uh, old school came out that year, and I. Uh, I think you may have had a child or maybe not, or just about to have a yeah, child no, no. at this point. No, we did. I, I, I did. I did. You know what, you know what I would say? And thank you for, for filling in the, the, the silence there because you're allowing me to think a little bit more. I would, I would tell myself, I would tell myself kind of like five things, but there's two frameworks that I, that's coming to mind for me. I, I would tell myself the first framework would be, Build better relationships and build a better you. And that's that that's simplicity, right? Because I think the relationships I have with my faith today, with my friends, with my workers, have been have been not only intentional, but intentional to have impact. So that's what I would tell myself to do it better. Build a better me. I would tell you that physically, I've I'd be in a better place, I think, physically, intellectually. I would challenge myself differently. Emotionally, I'd be in a different place if I know what I know now and going back. And then spiritually, I think I would have greater strength somehow. And and that's just because you're asking me the question and I don't have enough time to, you know, break that up. Then I would say, I would tell myself, listen, rise to live an amazing story today, right? That would be one. I would tell myself, how do I phrase this? Praise to love generously, right? And then the, th- the final one I would tell you in the second framework, it would be something that says, every day I need you to shine so that you can inspire people to think about the impossible and making it possible. I don't know if I'm phrasing that right, but it would be to rise, to praise, and to shine so that you can live, love, right, and uh, and inspire. 
I love it. That's 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 a, a phenomenal answer, which I expected nothing less from you, Jorge. <laughs> oh, um, stop! You made you made me pause and think, man. I had to, I had to go back and like in my feelings, right? In in all of our pre calls, um, you were so right on point that I'm like, I'm not asking him it because I want to I want to get him off a little bit. I'm not I'm not oh, going to okay. prep him anyway. I'm like, he's too good. We need to we need to get pull him back to to the rest of us essentially. Is there so th- thank you for all of your answers, all of your time. Is there mm-hmm. um if there's there a way that if somebody wanted to get a hold of you or grant, they could they could do that? Yeah. So the best way of doing it would be just reach out on LinkedIn, right? You can find me Jorge Quesada, Jorge A Quesada, uh, and then comma MBA. Um, and just send me a note telling me that um that you heard me on the podcast and you'd like to connect and and have a further conversation. Another way of doing it is um, sending me an email on um, construction dei talks at gmail.com. That's another way that they can get a hold of me. That's the the two ways that I would encourage people to reach out because you know um, the 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 LinkedIn just works from a business perspective better. Yeah. Sure. No. Totally. And you've been amazing. But is there anything else you'd like to leave? Uh, tell the people before we leave. You know. So thank you for that. I, I would just say this. I, I would say to you, one of the things that I'm learning and appreciate every day that I come and work in this industry of ours is, is that let's own our story. Let's tell our story. Let's amplify our story. It is amazing that when I walk out out of our condominium here in our condominium complex, all I see is the impact that we have made, construction people have made, builders have made. We have made this country. We have made like the inf- like the infrastructure, right? There's not a bridge, there's not a building that we can't put someone someone in construction involved in it, from the design all the way to building, right? And and we at Granite just feel in in a, in a lot of ways humble that we get to play a part in the in the in the in the making of America kind of thing. I know it sounds kind of hokey. But man, we got to tell that story. We have amazing careers. We have amazing opportunities for people to build generational wealth. And and now is the time to do it, especially with the money that is in front of us, you know, paying for the jobs that we have that we're bidding for. Let's tell our story and let's not be shy about it. Let's think in solutions, not in thinking about problems all the time, right? And I think if we can do it collectively, there's nothing. It, this industry is right for the attention and the success that we're going to continue to have. Perfect. Well said, as everything else was as well. I will throw all the social in the uh, all your social profiles and all that kind of stuff, uh, as well as granites into the show notes. And uh, listeners, I hope you had a good time because I, I had a blast. If, if you can see my face, it has uh, been smiling for the last hour for sure. So uh, thank you, Jorge. And uh, to all our listeners, until next time, adios. 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 Thank you, Will. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Building Scale. To help us reach even more people, please share this episode with a friend, a colleague, or on social media. Remember... The three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. And our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. So if you think your company's technology pillar could use some improvement, 
Book a call with us to see how we can help maximize your IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. And until next time, keep keep building building scale. scale.